0: hey welcome to the church on boulevard sermons podcast an extension of the ministry of church on boulevard in richmond virginia we hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll live life to the fullest as we grow together Hey, everybody. Drew Daniels here. I just wanted to let you know that we had some extraneous sounds and noises in this week's sermon audio that we couldn't get rid of in post-production. So we decided the content was still valuable enough to share with you, and hopefully it doesn't disrupt your listening experience. So without further ado, we'll jump right into this week's sermon. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that's John the Baptist, the one who had just baptized him a chapter earlier. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is God's word. You can grab a seat. Have you ever been stuck in the airport? Actually, by a show of hands, who here in recent memory was stuck in the airport for more than, let's say your flight was delayed for more than just like a couple hours. It was like a prolonged period of time. Just show of hands recently, yeah, yeah. Okay, who here has never experienced being stuck in an airport? Wow, is that good, have you flown? Uh, I've flown a couple times, but I never did get stuck in the airport. That is unbelievable, Hank. I feel like we need to celebrate that with you right now. I I don't know how long you have to travel before you eventually hit some sort of delay, but the airport is a liminal space. A liminal space is the in-between. It's like the area where you've left, where you're coming from, you're headed in another direction, but you're not there yet. I was really young, and so my experiences of uh, airports may not have included being stuck, even if maybe we were. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and you might have just added a point to my sermon. That's very helpful. That's very good, Hank. Um, Yeah, sometimes when we're younger, we don't always notice the in-between season the same way. What did you feel when you were stuck? (laughs) Helpless. Tired frustration. You knew where you were headed. You knew you had a destination. You knew that you could basically sue if they didn't get you there. (laughs) You paid for the ticket. So you at least knew you're going, but, uh, but there's still something in that in-between that makes us uncomfortable. Like if you, had to, if you were like, I had to camp out here for a long time, or if somebody were to say, actually, we have no clue, it could be weeks before the next plane gets here to take you to your destination. You start to feel really uncomfortable really fast. Um, when did The Terminal come out? You guys seen that movie? The Terminal? Tom Hanks. He ends up essentially living in the airport for a while. I think that preys on like, some of my greatest fears. But he finds beauty in that in-between space. There's physical liminal spaces, airports, hallways, doorways, bridges, trains, huh, tunnels. Anytime you're going from one place to the next and you're in the in-between, it's a liminal space. It's the idea of staying in the liminal space that makes us really uncomfortable when it comes to our emotions, there are liminal spaces. There are liminal spaces in our lives when we experience divorce, when we're between a a significant relationship, when we're moving, when we experience the death of a loved one. There are liminal spaces when we graduate, we end some cycle of school and, and something else is coming and we don't know whether our job's gonna work out, whether we're gonna land in the career field. Maybe maybe you've graduated college and you start working, but you're not employed in the area of your degree. And that can feel like a liminal space. Illness, sickness can be a liminal space. COVID was a liminal space for us culturally. We talked last week about how faith is more of a journey than it is a trip. When you take a trip and you're in a liminal space, you have the sense that you know where you're headed and you know eventually you're gonna get there. I mean, by definition, a liminal space must end. You have to get to the other side. But in life, in our emotional life, in our spiritual life, sometimes we have no clue when that will be. It can sometimes be years, decades even. What if, what if the liminal space I think some of us have this fear. What if it goes on until the moment when we leave this earth? What if we feel like we're always cycling and we never feel like we found home base, we've never landed and settled? That's the fear of the liminal space. Spiritually, this can happen whenever you hit a wall. Whenever you hit that place where you had the answers and now suddenly the answers are elusive. Life has thrown more questions at you than you can answer when it comes to your faith. And maybe the old answers just no longer work for you very well. It just, it it was too simplistic. Or, or maybe it's just simply that you're asking different questions, but either way you can hit a liminal space in your faith where you're in between something and you have this sense, I don't really want to throw my faith away. I don't think I want to give up per se on God or Jesus but I have significant doubt. Research would suggest that if you haven't gone through this season and you are entering into faith, you will, (laughs) it's inevitable. It's sort of like a motorcycle Uh, driver, motorcycle rider. (laughs) They say if you have a motorcycle, you either have had an accident or you're about to have an accident. It's inevitable. But we talked last week about how spiritual maturity through that time is not inevitable. What's inevitable is that the liminal space will hit you. What's not inevitable is that you will be able to use it for your growth. And the only way to grow from it is to go through it, not around it. This liminal space can totally impact your mental health. So let me read a couple stats Or not stats, but uh, what some research from some various university surveys found out. When the liminal space is perceived as danger, which most of us go into fight or flight when we start feeling like, okay, this is taking longer than I thought it would for my life to settle again. When it feels like danger, when we perceive that we don't know what's coming next we aren't sure what's happening, we will start to feel exorbitant stress and that will lead to anxiety, depression, even suicidal ideation. Okay. Our statistics for loneliness, anxiety, depression in our world right now are so high. Interestingly, we just came out of COVID. And I don't know that we ever as a society found some way to actually walk through the grief of COVID. Whenever trauma hits, you've got to walk through it or else you'll always be circling around it. More than just fear of uncertainty, it can become fear, and this is the definition of anxiety, that you won't have the emotional resources to cope with whatever's coming. Part of what's scary is not just that you don't know what's happening next, it's that you don't know if you have the resources or the capacity inside of you to deal with what's coming next. And that is really scary. This leads to avoidant behaviors, statistically This is when there's an increase in substance abuse, uh, aberrant sexual behavior, and self-harm. The in-between can also be a space of beauty. You can walk through a liminal space and find beauty. Richard Rohr says that uh, the liminal space is when the person's entrapment in normalcy and the way things are starts to get shaken up. And he says you get drawn into the liminal space and it's a sacred space. It's where transformation happens if you walk through it, if you decide that you're not gonna go around it. Our culture has very few healthy responses to the in-between. Here's a few of them. Overwork, overstress, overspend, overscroll. When we're scrolling through social media, usually what's happening, at least what's happening for me. I'm comparing what I know to be the worst of me, especially if I'm in a liminal space, I'm usually confronted with my inadequacy, my confusion, the chaos and the darkness that feels like it's swirling around me. I'm comparing what I know to be worst of me to what appears to be the best of others. And that's why social media can create this cognitive dissonance where I just struggle with so much anxiety, I find that when I'm scrolling too much, there's a direct correlation with my mental health. But that's what our culture tends to offer us. There are options of going and meditating and mindfulness, and those are great. But if we don't find some way to go through the liminal spaces, we will miss the opportunity for transformation. So how do we endure and how do we get through? Matthew 4, 17, Jesus preaches the message, "'Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near.'" And it's the first time we hear Jesus speak in Matthew's gospel. And it's the exact same words that John the Baptist preached in chapter 3, verse 2. And what does that tell us? It tells us that Matthew is using a technique called an inclusio. Inclusio is where you have two statements that are identical to one another. And everything that happens in the middle is vitally important. They kind of get linked together in a new way. And the two statements at the end help interpret what's going on in the middle. Those statements will also serve as markers to say, hey, pay attention to what's coming next. But that's next week. So what's happened in the middle? Jesus was baptized. He was in the wilderness. And then this set of five verses. I want to show you something. Jesus, let me see if I can jump to it. And we'll go back. Jesus... Was down here when he got baptized. Bethany beyond the Jordan. He's probably somewhere in here when he's tempted in the wilderness. Sorry for my bar. Somewhere in here in the wilderness. And when our passage starts and it says that he withdraws from Nazareth, how did he get from here to here? Look at that. About 90 miles is what it is. 90 miles. That's about a week's journey, even for them. And they were used to walking long distances. There is so much walking that Jesus does. And then it says that John is imprisoned and Jesus walks again to Capernaum. There's a lot of walking that happens, which tells me there's a lot of time that passes before Jesus ends up in his ministry. That's why he never got past. Well, yes, yes. Jesus ate all the time and never got fat, Hank says. I don't know. I don't know what Jesus's weight was like. The in-between is a space that you can go around, but you don't want to. You want to journey through it, but we need resources for that. Here's a few things that are really good in the liminal space. Liminal space is a place where art will hit you differently, where you don't feel like you have the words for what you're going through, and that's what makes you want to give up. But then you hear a lyric like this, Paige shared this with me from Sarah Groves. She says, the future feels so hard and I wanna go back, but the places that used to fit me, I think it's supposed to say that, the places that used to fit me cannot hold the things I've learned. These roads were closed off to me while my back was turned. Do you ever feel that, that you started moving forward and then you're wondering, is it my fault that suddenly all the doors behind me closed? I left my job and I thought there was something else here and now I'm floating in no man's land and I want to go back, but that door's closed. Is that my fault? What happened? Sometimes in the liminal space, I think we would make the mistake of assuming that our sin got us there. Our sin contributed. (laughs) Things we've done wrong contributed, but Jesus is in the liminal space. He's in the wilderness and we know that he never sinned. So we know that some of the suffering and experiences of trial and liminal space do not have to do with our sin. It can just be that life presents us challenges and shakes us up and puts us in the in-between. What we see from Matthew with his inclusio technique with the Jesus's preaching is that Jesus's baptism, his time in the wilderness and the liminal space are vitally interlinked. They all matter, they're all important. And his journey into Capernaum has something we should, we should bring his baptism and wilderness experience into that somehow. So let's look at a few things in this passage. Um, I don't have like the three points as much for this message. So we're going to kind of journey through this together. Why did Jesus withdraw? Let's look at Matthew 4 verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Jesus does not withdraw from danger. Here's what's going on. Jesus is leaving one area, Nazareth, and he's going to Capernaum, to Galilee. Those are ruled by the same person who puts John in prison. So Jesus isn't withdrawing because he's escaping. Withdrawing is more a theological term. We'll see Jesus withdraw quite a bit. Usually, it's for intimacy with the Father. Usually, it's right before he's about to perform a miracle. There's something that's about to happen, and Jesus is withdrawing. Why? Because it was Jesus' way to withdraw. Um, there is an excellent biblical scholar on the New Testament. Uh, in fact, his commentary on Mark is wonderful. His name's Eugene Boring, which I think is a wonderful name for a scholar <laughs> of the New Testament. Like, Nadia, his first name isn't even exciting. It's Eugene Boring. So Boring says this. Boring says that this is how we see Jesus' kingly rule. He withdraws. We're so used to kings taking charge, taking things by force. But Jesus pulls into the quiet places right before something big is about to happen. So we don't see Jesus' withdrawal because of John's imprisonment as Jesus getting away from danger. If anything, he's walking further into the heartbeat of danger. Why? Because Capernaum was an intersection point where trade happened all along the Sea of Galilee. So in the Roman world, there were these little trade ports so that as Roman soldiers were traveling, they could come down through or, or Roman citizens were traveling. They'd come through, they could do their trade and, and then they would move down usually along the coast of the Mediterranean. Capernaum was one of these places where there would be a lot of trade happening. And so it was a melting pot. It was also a place where during exile, a lot of foreigners had come in, a lot of Gentiles, a lot of people that were not enlightened, people that didn't understand Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they settled there. And so there's a mix of people in Capernaum. There's the Jews, but there's also the non-Jews. Jesus withdrew. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. So what was said through the prophet Isaiah? And this is really fascinating. In Matthew, Matthew quotes Isaiah and he says this, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And on those who sit in the region, the shadow of death, in shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's what Matthew says Isaiah says. But if you go to Isaiah, here's what Isaiah said. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali. And I crossed this out because Matthew somehow left this out. But now he brings honor to the way of the sea. The region beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations, and the people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. There's some revisions that Matthew has to Isaiah's words. Now this happens for a lot of different reasons and I won't get into all the details and the nuances of that. But I think the primary reason Matthew is doing this is not because he forgot what the passage actually said. I think he makes some notable changes that I've tried to highlight here to help us see something about who Jesus is in terms of what Isaiah, who Isaiah was prophesying to. So Isaiah is prophesying in a time when he's saying, hey, we're in exile. This is seven or 800 years before Jesus, about 700 years. And they're in exile. And Isaiah is saying, there is a king that's gonna come to set you all free, to deliver the people from darkness. And they're gonna come from this area in the north where the Assyrians had taken over and they called it the land of the nations because it was this convergent point with a lot of different types of people, not just Jews. Here's what we need to know. It's very common in uh, biblical interpretation to read Jesus into Old Testament passages, but that's not necessarily how we should approach it. We should look at the Old Testament passage first, see what's being said there and how it should be interpreted in its context, and then Matthew is showing us how Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of that. So in Isaiah's time, there really was a king that came out and led the people and took care of the people and got them out of exile and helped them rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild um, their land. But, but what Matthew is saying is there's a greater king, though, who's going to ultimately fulfill He's going to go into the land of the nations. But at this point, he uses the term Gentiles because Gentile was a stabbing term. It wasn't so much like a slur, but it was a way of saying the really unenlightened folk, the people that really don't know Yahweh. They don't know God. These are the people that are the non-Jewish people. And that's where Jesus sets up shop. Jesus is going into the land. Matthew wants us to see not just the land of the nations. He's going into the land of the outsiders, He's going to the place, he's going to set up his whole public ministry, not in Jerusalem where the temple is, but in this podunk backwater town of Capernaum. And then we see that there's a distinction in the verbs here. Matthew says the people who sit in darkness, whereas Isaiah says the people walking in darkness. What's the difference between sitting and walking? There's a big difference. You can walk in darkness and it's very, very dangerous. You can bump into things, stub your toe, get hurt. If this room were completely dark, I would probably at some point bump into that pole. That wouldn't be good. And that is rough stuff. But at least if I'm walking around, I might bump into an exit and be able to get out. But if I've been so overwhelmed by the darkness, if it's so paralyzed me, if it's so crippling that it almost weighs down like a ton of bricks on my shoulder, I might just sit down. I might just want to give up. The people that are in the in-between space Matthew is showing us are sometimes so covered and enshrouded with darkness that they feel paralyzed, crippled. They can't do anything to help themselves. And it's only if Jesus comes to them that they can be saved. There's a principle in this. We don't save ourselves. And we don't get out of the liminal space of faith by just trying to believe harder, believe better. That would take an interpretation of Christianity that says it's based on me, my behavior, my right beliefs, me doing the right things. It would be the type of belief that says this wilderness is happening because I've sinned, I've done something wrong. But we see here reiterated in the prophet Isaiah, is that Matthew wants us to know that if you're gonna follow Jesus, you need to know that when these liminal spaces happen, only Jesus can lift you out of it. And you don't have to writhe and struggle so much As find where Jesus is in the moment. And then, what's Jesus doing in this passage? A whole lot of walking. And he will help you get walking again. And then there's a dawn versus a bright light. In Isaiah, he just talks about a bright light. But in Matthew, he says the light is dawning, just at the dawn. Something new is coming over the horizon. The people sitting, paralyzed in darkness. Here comes Jesus, and he's like a light. It's like the sun rising in the morning. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but you've been in bed at night, and you wake up, maybe from a deep sleep or whatever, and all of a sudden, not your fault at all, that thought just pops into your head. The conflict that happened the day before at work or maybe with your spouse or partner or whoever, and suddenly you're just writhing, like you're in bed, you can't sleep, your heart rate gets up. For me, I start sweating a good bit, and I'm like, what is going on? Why can't I just get back to sleep? And you can't turn your mind off. You can't shut it off. And then some sunlight starts to rise up, and you realize you've lost a ton of sleep, but there's something about that sunlight that feels like, oh, saving grace, like such relief the sun has risen. I'll go make my coffee now. I'll go get moving with my day. There's something about the dawn that can bring us out of the darkness, not because we did anything to make the dawn happen, not because we commanded the sun to rise, but because the sun rises, because God will not let the people sit in darkness forever. So here's where I want to go with this. I want to share one more. I want to go to verse 17 and exposit a bit what I see going on with Jesus' sermon. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind that where we're headed with this is what you can do with the liminal space is learn to let your life preach. There's a famous, uh, or not famous, but there's a popular Christian book by Parker Palmer called Let Your Life Speak. It's all about knowing yourself, self-awareness. This beautiful book. As I was reading the passage this week, I realized Jesus does a whole lot of walking before he preaches. And when he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, it sends us all the way back to John the Baptist, right? And when it sends us back to John the Baptist, we see that Jesus' baptism, we see that Jesus' time in the wilderness, and we see that this liminal space are all connected. Jesus preaches the gospel, the good news, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near." repent, turn, because there's a light that's dawned on you. And I'm going to help you get out of darkness. But before he preaches the gospel, he lives the gospel. Before Jesus preaches the gospel, he lives the gospel. I think I said earlier that this is the first time Jesus speaks. It's not the first time he speaks. It's the first time he preaches. So forgive me. Jesus, in other words, when he's in this liminal space, right before he's about to go preach the gospel, right before he's about to go into Capernaum, right before he's about to go to the outsiders, the nobodies, he's walking alone, and you know what he's carrying with him? He's got his baptism, the blessing from God. You are my dearly beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love you. I love you. I love you. And you know what else he's got? He's got the battle, the wilderness. He's got his spiritual blessing. He's got a spiritual battle on the other Pocket. One pocket, spiritual blessing. I know I'm loved. I know God's got me. I'm valuable to Him. I know I'm the Son of God. I'm chosen. And in his other pocket, he's got his spiritual battle. He says, You know what? I defeated the devil in the desert, I've been through a dark season. He's carrying both of those with him. In other words, when he goes to preach, he carries the highs and lows of his life in it with him. And the only thing that gives him integrity is that he was fully man. Yes, he's fully God. But remember, Matthew wants us to see that he was also fully man. Meaning, when Jesus preaches this message, it's a message he's lived. So many of us leave the church because so many people preach messages. Maybe you preached a message that you've never lived. You felt like you had to be at a different place in the spiritual journey. And so you got pulled into leadership because you, were, you had a gift, a talent for communicating or whatever. Or in my case, I was a musician. I could stand on a stage and play guitar. And after a while, after a few years of doing that, eventually I was like, I'm working at a church and I don't believe any of the words that I'm singing. I don't know what to do with that. Not because something was wrong with me not because I wasn't a Christian, but because the faith journey sometimes presents us with a liminal space where everything gets shaken up. And when that happens, we have a choice to walk through it and decide, do I actually believe what I'm saying? Or am I gonna go around it? Am I gonna leave it? I should also say to honor, I have a lot of friends who have not just deconstructed their faith, they've left the faith because of that. That's not necessarily going around things. To face the darkness head on and go through it and then not find the truth in the gospel and say, I don't see the truth here, that's still going through it. Very much honor anybody who's taking that darkness head on wherever it might lead them. Jesus's message was lived, tested and embodied before he preached it. You guys, nothing is wasted. Nothing in your life is wasted. If Jesus doesn't exist, if God doesn't exist, then yeah, there are things in our life like suffering that we just need to get around and get through. It's just, its at, at best, it's an inconvenience. At worst, suffering can lead us to all the suicidal ideation and depression and darkness. If Jesus and God exists, then we might not have the answer to suffering. But here's what we do know. We know that it's not because God doesn't care because he walked through it as well. And we also know that there will be something on the other side. Suffering is always a liminal space, meaning you can use that suffering for good, for great things. There's something inside of a Christian that can take the suffering they're experiencing and use it to make them great. Without God, without Jesus walking through what he walked through, we don't have those same resources. And you can still be very noble and go through your suffering, but you have to admit that you have no clue if there even is another side. But for the Christian, there's always another side. Always, always. So let your life preach. (laughs) What do we do to let our life preach? First, we settle into Jesus. The people seated in darkness, the people settled in the darkness. Don't get out of the darkness on your own. Settle into Jesus. I think the first thing that we can do is counterintuitive. I wanna get right to walking with Jesus. I wanna get right to get me into ministry, God. Give me some, that's just overwork, overproductive. That's gonna keep you spinning in the in-between. First, first, settle into Jesus. What does that mean? Well it means that Jesus is walking to you, not you to him. The dawn is rising and you don't command the sun to come up. You have to take a moment to grieve. When a plane crashes and lands in the water, and I wish I could find a source to cite for this. I think it was from a Ted talk I listened to a while back. They say that the worst thing you can do while the plane is still like shaken up is try to take your seatbelt off and get out or help somebody else. Because you have no idea where it's going to tip next. You have no idea where things are going to be shaken up next. So what do you do? The best thing to do, if you want to survive, they say, is you let it settle. And you count to three. When you have been still for three seconds, imagine how painful that would be. You're terrified. You've just experienced all this trauma. But your best chance of survival is if you settle. You count to three. Then you take off your seatbelt. Then you get to safety because then you know that you've got solid ground to get out on or swim out on or whatever happens. I'm sorry for the plain analogy. My wife has a lot of flight anxiety. <laughs> and now everybody's laughing at you, so <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <sighs> Grief, prayer, leaning into friends. Okay, let, let me do a metaphor real quick. Baptism is like feasting. That's the celebration. That's the blessing of God. Jesus in the wilderness, that's fasting. He fasts in the wilderness. It's depletion. It's where God can use the hardship, but we don't necessarily have that strength to draw on yet. We're just leaning into God. The liminal space is where those things get melded together to strengthen our fibers. Like when you're between exercises at the gym and you take a day off, that's when your muscles actually strengthen and heal. The fibers strengthen and heal when you're between the exercise, the workout, not when you're actually doing it. And so sometimes the liminal space can feel like there's this kind of strengthening happening and that can be challenging, that can hurt. You've done fasting, you've done uh, feasting, fasting, but in the liminal space, share meals. Share meals, because that's where you get to sit around the table with people and do real life. Most of your life is lived in the liminal space. You can't do it alone. So when you're in the in between, you aren't feasting, (laughs) you aren't fasting, you're sharing meals. You sit around the table, you tell your story, you let yourself grieve, you let yourself be distracted by others for a little bit because sometimes I don't wanna just sit and think about my problems all the time, but I also don't wanna just scroll through my phone. You settle, you grieve, you pray, you go to therapy, you find friends that you can share meals with and then, You walk with Jesus. The gospel is the ABCs of our faith and the A to Z, Tim Keller says. The ABCs, it's the thing that saves you. Jesus came, he died, he rose again. And because of that, you can now have new life in him. That's what baptism means. It means that you die to Jesus and then he lifts you up out of the waters into resurrection life and he gives you a new life. That is the gospel. That's the ABCs. That's conversion. But there's also an A to Z of the gospel. The gospel is not just the thing that saves you. It's the thing that sanctifies you. It's not just the thing that brings you from death to life. It's the thing that helps you continue in life so that when you're in the liminal space, you can use the gospel to strengthen you. So here's what this means. It means that you get to start walking with Jesus once you've settled. Settling is always going to take longer than you think, it's always different for everybody. But notice that Jesus ends up, he's walked all this distance to get to Nazareth, but then it says he withdrew from Nazareth to Capernaum. Google Maps says it's about a 40 mile journey. In the book of Acts, Peter walks a 40 mile journey. We know that because he goes from Philippi or Caesarea Philippi to Joppa. And in the book of Acts, it takes Peter two days to walk that. Now, I like to think that if Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, they probably walked at a similar pace. Once Jesus' hands off, I mean, they walked everywhere together for for years. And when Peter's carrying on Jesus' ministry in the book of Acts, it takes him about two days to walk 40 miles. Two days. Two days. So that means day one, you start walking, day two, you're still walking, and day three, you show up. The 40-mile journey that Jesus goes on, in my mind, is not far removed from the three days between death on the cross and resurrection in the tomb. And here's what we learn about that 40-mile journey we learn that it's that exact distance where we disappear from, <laughs> from things for a while. We don't know what Jesus did during that time. We have no clue. And Matthew would have it stay that way. And I don't need to speculate a ton, but here's what I want us to see. That in that time... With 40 miles, it's enough time to process a few things. Kara Powell says there's three questions we can ask. Uh, she says this particularly with adolescents if they're in a hard transition season. And here's the three questions. The first is, what's happened? What has happened to me? What's happening? What's going on? Just get the bare facts. Sometimes we're in the stage of grief and we just need to take inventory. Like you're grieving so much you forget to say, oh, my work day was so hard today. I need to be doing better. I should, I should. Like, and if you pause, you're like, wait a second. I just lost a family member. I'm trying to get back into the headspace at work. I'm probably only operating at 20%. You've got to list what's happened to you. You've got to remember what's happened. And then you ask yourself, what does it mean? And I would say, do this with others. Let people help you discern, what does it mean that all this has happened? How does it coalesce? How does baptism and wilderness in the liminal space help me make meaning of my life? I had this great moment where I was ordained. Well, actually this was before my ordination. I was assessed by the denomination. They were like, you're going to be a pastor. And then we left and we had no building. We had no resources. We had nothing. And I remember in the fall of 2021, I almost ditched my faith entirely. I definitely was giving up on the church because I was laying in bed one night. I got myself worked up talking with Paige and I was like, why do we even do church anyways? I had no clue. I had no vision for this thing. And that's a big thing when you're church planning. Like, what are you going to do? Who are you called to reach? Where are you going to do it? Who are you called to? I was like, I have no clue. I have no clue. I just know that I love Jesus. I want other people to love Jesus. I love the Bible. I feel like there's a gap right now where like people don't know their Bibles. We just need to get together. We need a church to do this. I believe in the local church, but I had so many unknowns. It was such a liminal space. And I remember one night in particular, September 19th, 2021, because I journaled about it. I went to bed that night. Paige and I got worked up and I couldn't fall asleep. And Paige did. <laughs> and I couldn't wake her up. I didn't have... I didn't have it in me to wake her up. And I started to weep because I realized, I think I'd rather just give all of this up than deal with having to actually own my faith one more time in front of people that just don't care and don't believe in what I'm doing. I I thought I was going to build the thing that, that all the outsiders were gonna wanna come to. And I learned that I'm not the one that's supposed to do all the work to get to the outsiders. Jesus did that work. He walked the 40 miles. And as I was there crying, (laughs) I was like, God, can I just have a week to not believe in you? That was, I don't know, I wasn't rational. That's what I thought would be the best answer. I asked God if I have a week to not believe in him and then I'd get back on with church planting. And I fell asleep. And while I was sleeping, this was my experience. I was on the dirt roads of ancient Palestine. And Jesus was there with that like curly matted, dark skin, curly hair, all the things. And he said, you know what? You don't have to plant this church. And then we just talked through all the ways that he had met me in my life and brought me through to this point. Like it wasn't my fault that things shifted at the church where I was and I knew I needed to leave. The door was closed now and I couldn't get back in, but, but it wasn't my sin that brought me here. Suddenly I felt this warmth and compassion and this embrace in the liminal space. And I'll tell you what, this doesn't happen for everybody this way. And I, I, in some ways I hate that it was only a 12 hour period, but I woke up the next morning and the goodness of God by Bethel, <laughs> I was started humming this song. I had no clue what the song was at the, at the time. You know, you'll wake up humming a song and you're like, what is that song? And I realized it's the first time I had sung a worship song since leaving the church where I'd been. And I journaled it because I just couldn't handle it. And I decided, all right, I'm going to move forward with this church plant. And it was three more months until we got this space. In other words, it just didn't all get better right away. But I had a promise from God. He says in the Psalms that if he doesn't build it, the laborers work in vain and I knew that he was building this church. And so here's what happens. I had to look at what had happened. I had to consider what it might mean. I learned that God was with me in it. And then I could apply the final question, which is what does the gospel have to say to this? And here's what I determined the gospel had to say. Remember the gospel dynamic, fully sinner, fully loved. I realized that my brokenness was causing part of the problem. So I told my therapist, I said, hey, I'm terrified of fundraising. I think that's part of what's holding me back. But because I had the gospel, I could own that. And he gave me very practical baby steps. I said, hey, I'm really scared to go do this. Can you help me know what to do? Okay, the next thing that I realized is my counselor was like, hey, but let's take a look at your life right now. You're part-time stay at home with your kids. You are still trying to finish your degree. You're still working towards ordination. You have so much going on. So he's like, you need to take a baby step in school. You need to just do your assignment tomorrow. You need to love your kids. Just read them a story at bedtime. Just don't give up just yet. And he helped me baby step through. Because, you know why I was able to own my sin in that place? Because I knew it wasn't just because of my sin that I got there. I knew that Jesus had walked in the liminal space, and here's how the gospel dynamic works. It's not just that you're a sinner. It's not just that you're loved and valuable. It's both and, and here's how they converge. Suddenly, I could say, I can face the things that I've done wrong, learn from them, and start moving in the right direction because I know that the most important person to me, God, Jesus Christ, loves me no matter what. And it's because of that love that now I can move here in my brokenness. So here's what we do when we apply the gospel. We hold on to baptism that we are deeply loved. We understand that we might be in a wilderness or coming through a wilderness. And we hold to the promise that God will be the one to carry us through, that we might not be able to save ourselves, but there are baby steps that we can take in that time. And here's what I finally learned, that my life will preach when I preach a Jesus that I actually need. So here's my question to you. If you're a believer, do you preach a Jesus you need? Where has Jesus met you? Where has he given you the strength to get through? If you're at a place where you're like, I don't know if I believe in God right now, just humor me and give yourself some time over the next couple of days to just think, okay, God, if that wasn't a coincidence... Was that you getting me through there? (laughs) Was that you bringing my spouse to me? Was that you? Ask those questions, because we've gotten really, really good at saying, well, that's all circumstantial. That's all, we've gotten really good at doubting, but doubt your doubts for a little bit, and just ask if maybe it was God who did it, and see if you start seeing things there, because you might discover that you really need Jesus. You might discover that he's been there all along, And then you're going to go into the world and you're going to be that light in the darkness. Not because you're anything other than you and not because you have all the answers and not because you know the formula of the gospel, but because you're preaching a Jesus that you need. You're going to live the gospel before you preach it because it's what our master taught us to do. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.